Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. This radio ministry is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. If you're looking for a place to give that is taking the gospel in direct and personal evangelism throughout the world, then I'd ask you to consider Church Partnership Evangelism. You can learn more about how God is using us by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Or you can call our office at 208-331-4096. We've been looking into the teachings of our Lord Jesus in a number of central subjects. Now we turn our attention to the subject of the devil. We believe he's real and an enemy. For a number of reasons we believe so, but for no greater reason that Christ himself believed the same. Let me read to you Luke 10, verses 17 through 20. And the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. It's a great word. If we're to consider ourselves Christians, then we must not only believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we also must believe in what the Lord Jesus Christ believed in. We must pursue and begin to understand what are the basic or core assumptions of all of his teaching and understand that these were settled matters with him and so they must be settled matters with us as well. For example, we believe in miracles because the Lord Jesus himself believed in miracles and he performed them. And we believe in the resurrection from the dead because the Lord Jesus believed and taught in the resurrection of the dead and then he rose people from the dead and he rose from the dead and we believe them for these reasons. We believe that the Bible is God's holy word spoken by him, that it's authoritative and it's accurate in all of its parts because Christ himself believed the same of the Hebrew scriptures. We believe what he believed. And we also believe that there exists a dark being that embodies and promotes evil in every place by the name of Satan or the devil because Christ believed that he existed. Christ taught us about him. Christ taught us how it is that we may triumph over him. For that reason this morning, we want to look a little bit more and understand these things. And the first thing I want to do is I just want to look at the names that the Lord Jesus used for Satan and some of the designations that he gave towards Satan, some of the descriptors that he gave towards Satan in order that we might draw up in our minds a portrait of this evil one. Satan likes to get whatever tension he can get. So we go before this clothing ourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus, knowing that he's among us, knowing that no one taught more about Satan than Christ himself, and he taught about him so that we might be forewarned, but also so that we might live in the triumph that he's provided for us. First thing we'll start with is just the name Satan. And the clearest meaning of the word Satan or name Satan is adversary. And along these lines, the Lord Jesus also gave Satan the descriptor as the enemy. Christ commanded us, by the way, to love our enemies, but here's one enemy that we're not to love because he consists of nothing but absolute resistance and antagonism against everything that is good and true and pure in God. All that God is in moral excellence, in his kindness, in his love, in his goodness, in his truth, 
in his faithfulness, in his grace, in his mercy, all of these things that might be true of God, Satan is in opposition to. He is the opposite of these things. God is truth. Jesus taught us that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. God is the giver of life. Jesus told us that Satan is a murderer, and he's been a murderer since the beginning. Jesus taught us that Satan is a destroyer. The Bible teaches us that God is the creator. He's in opposition to everything that God is. He's the adversary. The other name here is the name devil. And the name devil seems to have its closest meaning in the idea of accuser or slanderer. A devil is someone who brings charges against another with hostile intent. He brings charges against another with hostile intent. And so if you understand that, and you understand that appellation devil, you begin to understand and it reveals to us something of Satan's overall strategy against God's chief creation, mankind. What it is that Satan wants to do. Jesus taught us that Satan brings temptations upon human beings. And he does this in order to bring us into compromise and to bring us into sin so that he may accuse us before God. Whatever the attraction that he brings to you in temptation before some sin, ultimately the devil's interest is bringing you into judgment. He understands the law of God says that the wages of sin is death. He understands that the law of God says that the soul that sins shall surely die. And Satan wants to bring you into that death. He wants to bring you under the sentence of that death and bring the accusation of your sins against you. Janet Bantz wrote a poem that we quote during every other Christmas season. We read this epic poem by Janet Bantz, and it's a picture of the salvation that the Lord Jesus has brought to us, and it's this epic story of the fall of man, man being put in the garden, and God giving man this wide circle of blessing and benefit that he gets to enjoy in the garden as a result or an overflow of the intimate relationship and communion that he enjoys with God there. And yet God has drawn one simple line for man in which man can choose either to love God and submit to God or choose to defy God and disobey God. And it's that God tells man that he cannot eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan comes along and Satan tempts man to eat of that fruit. He tempts man to believe that God is somehow withholding from him his best life now and man chooses to pursue his best life now instead of God's will and God's purpose. And he falls in sin, and as a result of falling in sin, man falls into shame. Man falls under the guilt of that sin, and he's separated from God, and he's separated from the benefits of God. And Bantz shares with us Adam's position at this point in time in her poem, and then she shares with us exactly what Satan's attitude is towards man at that time, at that moment in which the seducing, beautiful serpent has brought him into sin. Here's what Bantz writes. Though love had drawn the circle wide, Creation's crowning glory man without its rim in guilty shame must hide. To whom then could he go? Satan, the seducer, has retreated to his lair. Man has fallen. Man has fallen. Man has fallen. Leave him there. And that's the attitude and the mindset and the heart and the goal and the strategy of the accuser. That's the voice of the accuser triumphing over our sin and seeing that he's brought us into ruin and into fall. And he wants us to remain in that fallen state. He wants us to live in shame. He wants us to live in condemnation. He wants us to live in the spiritual death that our sins bring upon us. He knows the consequences of sin and rebellion. He knows that that consequence is death and separation from God. And it's his desire to bring men and women under the sentence of that death. He is, in a sense, 
willing to make use of the law of God to bind us under God's judgment, and he's happy to do so. He delights in thinking that he has put God in a predicament because God must be devoted to his justice, and as a result, he understands that God is compelled to condemn those that he's made in his image for their sins against them. And the accuser brings us into that sin and then brings us under that accusation of the law of God in order to seal us in our condemnation and to defy God of his glory. That's his goal. That's his plan. That's how he's an adversary. That's why he's an accuser. The Lord Jesus recognized these various activities and gave these various descriptors for Satan, such as the enemy or such as the murderer or such as the father of lies. He ultimately calls him, in a sense, bringing it all together. He identifies him as the evil one the one who distorts and twists all that is good and true into a moral deformity. And so the Lord Jesus taught that it's the evil one that goes out and scatters, tears in the midst of the field of truth that God has planted out. And it's the evil one that goes and tries to snatch up the seed of the gospel of life and truth that is brought out before individuals. And the Lord Jesus taught us to pray in what we call the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verse 13. Deliver us from evil. And actually, the translation is more easily read, deliver us from the evil one. Because Satan's the one who wants to bring us into destruction. He's also, by Jesus, described as the tempter. It's along these lines. And the deceiver. And he identifies him as Beelzebub, the lord of filth, the defiler as well. There's a second thing I want to kind of hone in on one of these things that Lord Jesus said about Satan. It's this. Jesus also called Satan the strong man. And so he's indicating that Satan is in all these things and in the epitome or essence of all these things as the evil one, that he is powerful and he's strong. And so you'll find in the Gospels in Matthew 12 that the Pharisees bring a claim against Jesus and they claim that he's doing something through the power of the prince of demons. And there is an expression of his power, Satan's power is that he is the ruler of all the demons. But the Lord Jesus doesn't deny their appellation or their descriptor of Satan as the prince of demons. In fact, Jesus himself will refer to Satan as the ruler or prince of this world. He's powerful. He's powerful in orchestrating the systemic influences of the world and that influence that comprises the world that seeks its independence from God. We've heard recently of systemic racism. Now, believers should believe that there are systemic forces, that there can be inculcated into the system of the world things, a whole system that works against what is good and right and true and just and righteous. It's true. It's what the world is. We've always believed it. We believe that the world was pitted against those who wanted to honor God and live for God and glorify God and serve God. It's a greater systemic power and control than something that comes against one race of men or one group of individuals. It's something that comes against all individuals and it particularly comes against those who have chosen to live for Christ and want to live against the influence of the world. And the Bible actually tells us what the world is made up of. The world is made up of the fleshly impulses of man, ungoverned by God's will and God's purpose, man striving independence from God, but still being driven along by fleshly impulses. Those fleshly impulses all coordinated or congealed together in a systemic force. And that's what the world is. And so, John, we have a description of the fleshly impulses that somehow synthesize together to comprise the energy of the world that 
Those impulses after pleasure, after power, after prestige that lie in the heart of every individual that congeal together and are synthesized together and coordinate together in the world system. There it says it describes the world as being made up of the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the arrogance of life. It's basically a description of our natural impulses, the desires of the flesh. Our natural impulses are appetites that are not governed by God and His will and God's purposes. And then it's a description of the desires of the eyes of our unique personal preferences driven to seek power ungoverned by God. And then it's a description of our impulses for greatness. We've been made in the image of God and there's something within us that designs and desires greatness and significance in our lives, but it's that impulse ungoverned by God's will and God's purpose. God said if you want to be great, you have to be the servant of all. Ungoverned by God, it's just a greatness that steps upon people not bows before people to serve them. And that's what the world is made of. It's a system that's coordinating all of the fleshly impulses that are ungoverned by God, and Satan is the coordinator. Satan has a way of drawing together all these selfish impulses in yourself and putting it all together into a systemic bundle of power and influence that governs our world, and he's the one who coordinates it all. Satan uses you against you. Satan uses this system that he is comprising and pulling together called the world against you. He also opposes you directly. He deploys a cohort of demons that are so numerous that they can't be numbered in the sense it makes Satan seem to be ubiquitous. It's like he's everywhere. And all these things he works to bring us into failure and sin and to bring us under then to his accusations in order that we might be brought into condemnation and death and destruction. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.